this is where it gets interesting. So expert networks start where Google stops. These are questions that you can typically not find on Google. And to understand that, historically, you might have known all the people who mattered. Now, you are very unlikely to know the people who matter for any given line of industry. So that's where, where expert networks are, facilitate that connection so that you can make good decisions. Because ultimately, uh, you know, here I know I get passionate about expert networks, but ultimately it's about finding facts, uh, making the right decisions, which is a good thing for our society. Welcome to Pure Spectrum, where we journey through medicine's overlooked and unexplored corners. Experience what it's like practicing medicine on the International Space Station, operating on an NFL Super Bowl quarterback, treating remote patients in Antarctica, or flying over the burning reactor at Chernobyl. Ride along with a former Navy SEAL physician embedded with elite Delta Force commandos. Meet renowned physicians, economists, researchers, and journalists, deconstructing subjects as diverse as psychedelics, meditation, science crowdfunding, artificial intelligence, architecture, and more. Join orthopedic surgeon Dr. Keith Mankin, Colin Miller, and our growing tribe as we explore medicine en route. All right, welcome back. Today we're exploring an industry many of you have likely heard of and perhaps even participated in. It's a nearly $2 billion global market growing 15 to 20% each year. They're called expert networks. And in the words of today's guest, they are, quote, brokers of knowledge, all the stuff that is too niche, quirky, timely, or contextual for anyone to put into writing or audio, unquote. Traditionally, these expert networks have been the tools of trade for management consultants and analysts and hedge funds, private equity, and investment banking. But that's beginning to change as more professionals seek the insights, knowledge, and highly specialized expertise these expert networks offer, all through the medium of conversation and with the tools of questions. This even includes medical research and academia. Today's guest is the ideal wise companion to help us explore this space. Max Freiberg began his career as a McKinsey consultant, personally conducting hundreds of these expert interviews in the course of his work. For Max, these expert interviews are critical in helping him help clients tackle highly specific and challenging problems in their business. Today, Max is the founder and CEO of NX1, a platform that enables easy access to many of the world's top expert networks all in one place. We'll learn more about his company, how expert networks actually work, and what you may be able to gain from these highly specialized conversations. With that said, let's get started. Max, welcome to the show. You're in Stockholm today, and I understand it's still snowing there. Yes. Thank you so much, Colin and Keith, for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. Uh, I'm in Stockholm. I've been out in New York uh, all spring, but uh, back briefly for for a stint of winter. Absolutely. We've been really excited to have you. Um, Keith and I have been talking about the business that you're in for a while, just as almost like a parallel kind of to what we do, having conversations with people, learning from people that are really deep subject area experts and what it is they do. I'm curious, you know, take us back to your story here. Before you started your company in X1, you were with McKinsey. Tell us about that and how you used expert networks there. Absolutely. So I'm a business person by, by training. I started out in strategy consulting, um, worked with McKinsey for, for some years um, internationally. Um, McKinsey, obviously one of the larger global strategy consulting firms, works in pretty much every sector um, and industry and, and function for that, for that part, typically on strategy topics. Um, I did most of my work, I did some work in healthcare actually, but most of my work was related to financial institutions and investment decisions. As such, I was in the engine room uh, doing analysis of um, basically preparing decision materials for uh, groups who were to make a decision like a company board or management team. And I think for many of us, uh, you know, I've come across uh, management consultants, including McKinsey in, in my professional career. Keith probably has as well. But it, it, I know at least in medicine, one thing that, that I, I've observed is you can get very siloed in your thinking. You know, just orthopedic surgeons, just cardiothoracic, or just in the hospital system you're in. I find it very interesting that the line of work you were in, because there's almost a cross-pollination of ideas 
that can come from hiring consultants like this. And not only for your clients, but for you individually, you get a chance to explore many different industries and talk to people, not only in different industries and different sectors, but all over the world. Is that a big part of what you're bringing to these clients as well? Um, I, I think so, yes. Now, uh, I, to be fair, I was always a relatively junior person in consulting. So I'm sure my partners uh, would want to say that they brought this uh, cross-pollination. I was, as I said, I was largely in the engine room actually doing the analysis per case, um, but incredibly um, interesting. And, you know, I come from, from a, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the sole business person in a family of physicians. And uh, what I really enjoyed with McKinsey is that it's a, a highly scientific approach to solving problems. Uh, Can you which, describe that a little bit more? Yeah, it's absolutely. It's, um, it's a fa fact, facts first, fact-based uh, research uh, where you actually try to substantiate the decisions and recommendations that you do. Um, and, and whereas, let's say, a medical researcher has a tangible set of tools and, and procedures that they go through to, to um, let me see if I get this right in English, how, or to, to prove or disprove a hypothesis. Um, so, so has a good strategy consultant, a set of tools, a set of uh, processes and analysis that you do, and also a set of research sources and expert network interviews are one of the research sources that you use when you test the hypothesis, when you develop a thesis uh, and develop your knowledge effectively. When you're dealing with the expert networks, and, and we really want to spend some time on this, obviously, mm -hmm. is it somewhat analogous to being a journalist? I mean, are you cross-checking sources? And take us... Well, there's a lot of different directions I can go here, Max. Let's, let's just start with a conversation with an expert. How do you prepare for that and your use of questions? Uh, it, it, give us an idea because this is not just normal. You know, hey, we're going to take 10 minutes and get to know each other. It, it's, it's good. I imagine it's getting right to business, but you need to assess that person too. And, and then presumably there's a screening process and, and we'll talk about that as well. But talk, let's talk about that conversation itself. Just for a moment. Yeah. Um, this is so interesting. I can imagine many of your listeners have been approached by expert networks and, and, and have many have been part of expert interviews. Um, the, the, there are many steps leading up to the interview taking place, as you say. And, and let, let's get back to them eventually. But in the actual interview, um, I have... I would have prepared a questionnaire. I know what I want to discuss. The expert has been briefed on uh, who I am typically, or if, if not, then at least what type of organization I represent um, and what topics I want to discuss. Um, coming back to you know, the fact-based approach, I have a number of uh, metrics or data points that I want to test and get their feedback on. Um, typically, in the projects where I was an interviewer, we would do dozens of interviews. It's not always possible in the most niche uh, of segments, but typically you want to run your questions by an, a large number of people and then piece together the mosaic um, and, and then draw conclusions or hypothesis out of that. Was there a uh, standing panel of experts that you worked with or did you have the problem in hand and then you said, let me find experts to come and do that? Um, so as, as a strategy consultant, we, every other, every month there, I would be on a new project mm -hmm. in a new country uh, sometimes and mostly in an entirely new industry. Um, one day we analyzed the German elevator industry, and the next day 
some um, shipping of pharmaceuticals and vaccines across the Americas and trends in that. So, so taking a very further step back, when are when is someone McKinsey is not for free? When would someone pay a lot of money to have uh, McKinsey or someone like them come in and and help them? Well, it's when they have a very very tricky uh, problem to to untangle, decipher, and then decide on what what to do with. So, engaging a strategy consulting firm is very much engaging extra horsepower for uh, analyzing your problem and uh, identifying what your strategic options are. We would then be pulled in by the client to help them identify these their options. And, uh, and we would in turn engage firms called expert networks. So, so McKinsey and their peers have experts in-house, but that only goes so far. Uh, most of them are people like me, generalists, who are good at solving problems, but not subject matter experts ourselves. So we would engage uh, recruitment firms called expert networks to find experts for us. Um, and given the uh, incredible, uh, since we were only engaged on very thorny niche topics, we could not have a standing panel of experts because it's always a new set of experts needed to understand this, every problem. Maybe it would be helpful too. And I'm glad you took a step back there. Um, I should have done that even with my question, but I understand there's, there's confidentiality uh, you know, with former clients, but if we can paint an example here of something maybe in healthcare that you worked on without you know, names and examples here of a problem and kind of take us through how the problem was identified and what they asked you to do. Absolutely. We, we can take a hi- hypothetical one, which is, which is, which I didn't do myself, but I can imagine there have been lots of uh, strategy consulting work on uh, over the past few years when we've been shipping vaccines worldwide, billions of doses. Um, shipping vaccines is a complex process. Uh, as we know, uh, as there, there are temperature regulations. You typically need an unbroken cold chain from production to distribution uh, final, uh, final sites. Um, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, there are freight, freight companies uh, involved for air freight, uh, boats, land, train, uh, dedicated manufacturers um, building the containers. Now, anywhere from production of the vaccine to the actual distribution of the doses, um, there will be many companies involved. People will have interests in understanding trends here. What are trends in shipping vaccines? What happens if Germany decides to mandate one particular vaccine manufacturer, what effects will that have on uh, supply chain uh, companies? Uh, Given the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna may, I don't know this, but they may have different requirements for how they're handled. Um, This might be, uh, have material impact on the the freight companies uh, that may or may not get the job to to ship these vaccines. Not to mention, I guess these freight companies have other customers as well. So uh, semiconductors or um, uh, well, even PP, you know, E, you know, just something that else is in hot demand at the moment. And they have to decide, well, I don't know if I want to take a risk on moving these vaccines because of the regulatory issues. I may just be stuck with no job for a month or my ships import. So I can imagine talking to um, people in the industry, getting an idea of what they're thinking about, and then presenting that to your client. You know, they're not just thinking about you; they're thinking about all of these other things, and they need to keep, you know, keep their, you know, their lines moving and take care of their other customers, right? Absolutely, and and this is where it gets interesting. So, expert networks. 
start where Google stops? These are questions that you can typically not find on Google. I like to make an example of my own, you know, little faraway country. Um, 100 years ago, Sweden just shipped timber, lumber, and iron ore to Northern Europe. A handful, a room full of people could explain the dynamics of most of Sweden's GDP. Uh, nowadays, value chains are far more complex. Uh, the industry is far more complex. There are innumerable uh, large companies that either come from here or are present here. Um, and to understand that, whereas historically, you might have known all the people who mattered. Now, you are very unlikely to know the people who matter for any given uh, line of industry. Um, so that's where, where expert networks are, facilitate that connection so that you can make, make good decisions. Because ultimately, uh, you know, here I know I get passionate about expert networks, but ultimately it's about finding facts, uh, making the right decisions, which is a good thing for our society. So, well, I think it's time to move into that, Max. So I'm assuming at McKinsey, you were, you had probably expert networks on retainer, um, even like LexisNexis or some other, you know, aggregate research tool, just, you know, one of many things you're probably using. It's like in our world, we use PubMed for looking at medical research. It, it would be charged, you know, for each one of these calls, I would assume. And you're using these tools, but I suspect at some point you saw some problems or challenges or needs, which is why you decided to, to break off and try something different. Um, tell us about that. What, what were the things that you saw and, and, and the needs and, and how did you try to fill them with your first project prior to Index? Um, I saw that, um, well, I got very passionate about the expert networks. I saw how useful they were to me in my work. I also saw how incredibly uh, costly they were. And you know, as a business person um, who loves numbers, uh, it, I, that made me jump. I saw that here, there is an inefficiency here and we can probably make a business out of this, uh, do something slightly better. So I first left, I left McKinsey 2016 to start an expert network. Um, we try to automate much of the manual work done in an expert network. When you search LinkedIn, when you search uh, various databases, ResearchGate and what have you to identify subject matter experts. Um, that worked, but we found an even better way to, uh, to make the match between those who seek knowledge and those who need knowledge. And that is Inex1, the company that I run today. Um, and the easiest way to explain what we do is uh, to call it a booking.com for uh, expert interviews. If you, if you have uh, expert networks as hotels or the booking mm -hmm. or yeah, hotels.com or booking.com or what have you, like an aggregator that streamlines the, the uh, workflow between someone who needs knowledge and the expert at the other end. Give us an overview of this industry. I mean, it's, it's pretty big and it's getting bigger. There's huge consulting firms like Alpha Insights and others. Um, and then there's a lot of smaller, more boutique ones. Can you just give us a flavor for what, what the industry looks like? Yes, it's, it's an industry that's been growing globally. It's about 20 years old or uh, since it got institutionalized, asking someone who, who knows what has been around forever, of course, but in the shape of expert networks, it's about 20 years old. Um, there's more than 100 companies doing this work. And, and when I say this work, it's finding experts, bespoke experts uh, on demand. Um, and like any industry, there are a few uh, very large companies and many smaller. Uh, and they, now what's interesting uh, with, is a very global industry because uh, the, the good sold, the service provided is standardized 
worldwide. It's a one-hour phone interview. Um, it's used in mainland China. It's used in Japan. It's used in the Midwest US. It's definitely used in Sweden. Um, and it's used across. So you can have someone in uh, Croatia speaking with, uh, with an expert in Seattle and learning, uh, effectively paying to learn what they've learned. And then in order to apply their knowledge in making wiser decisions themselves. As this industry has taken off, Max, um, has there been a change in who's using it? Uh, it sounds like before when you were at McKinsey, it was mainly the consultants who would contact. Are you finding people who are skipping the consultants and going right to the expert net networks? Um, yes. Uh, yes, that we see. Um, over the 20 years that the industry has, has existed, it's been definitely an evolution. It started out very much as uh, with hedge funds, the companies that could most mm -hmm. afford this type of service. Uh, and perhaps you could say they also had most at stake to gain from, uh, from making very well-informed business decisions. Uh, from there, it's gone through different types of investment companies and to the consulting firms that they use uh, to today. We have, my company has more than 300 clients and, and these include many independent consultants um, we work with some pharmaceutical companies, uh, some NGOs, and uh, small SMBs um, who, uh, yeah, who need information. And, and sometimes they might engage a strategy consulting firm because there are things that they can do that an expert network cannot. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they go directly to, to us to get expert network services. So let's take a, a step inside the, the platform. So if I log on and I set up an account, what do I see? And just tell us about the service itself, how it works, and and how you actually find you know connect to the expert and the, and the answer you're looking for. Yeah. So so we provide a, a platform, as you say, uh, where you can log in and interact with expert networks, the recruitment firms who help you find experts. Um, we collaborate with about 25 expert network firms from all over the world. And each one of them has a specialization. Um, one firm is incredibly strong in South Korea because that's where they are headquartered and they, they understand local, uh, not only the local language, but also local cultures and, and how, to, uh, how to interact and, and uh, convey the, the value proposition that they have to local experts. Uh, other, ex other expert network firms are focused on the healthcare sector and can understand um, the requirements of clients who need to, yeah, who maybe need to understand how you treat orphan, certain orphan diseases in Southeast Asia. So when you log on to the Index One platform, you can interact with any one of those 25 expert network partners, uh, send your query to them, and they will guide you. They will help you um, sharpen your questions and mm. suggest some profiles that they think might be relevant uh, to answer your questions. Yeah, I guess that includes verifying that people have the credentials they say they do, right? Because this is not cheap and, and your time is valuable as well. You want to make sure this, one, this is someone who really is a subject area expert in what they say. How does that process work for verification? I assume it's different for different places, but yeah, tell us about that. So the expert network firm is very much like a recruitment shop. They, they, they take the client's uh, specifications and go out and look in their uh, historical network, who have we engaged uh, with previously? And then they go and search and they have all sorts of tools and that's their expertise. That's their secret sauce to find their experts at finding experts. Um, 
and they do that in a number of ways. Um, they speak with experts. They can, at a high level, describe what the questions are about um, and verify, are you uh, knowledgeable about this topic? Are you interested in doing a consultation? And are you uh, not legally conflicted? If, for example, you can typically not speak about a clinical trial that you're involved in, or you cannot right. speak about the company you're currently employed at. So I'm glad you brought that up because, and you mentioned earlier, many of our listeners probably have been involved as experts on these or at least asked to. I know Keith and I certainly have over the years. Some are going to be very wary of it just from stories they've heard before where there's insider trading, you know, solicitation questions or uh, just questions that get a little too clinical maybe. I mean, you, you know, as a physician, you don't want to ever give medical advice to anyone that isn't a patient in your office that you're seeing as a patient. Um, many, many reasons for that. Um, and some would just rather decline these offers because they're, they're nervous about that. But you guys have done quite a bit with Inex to address some of these, these concerns and, and focus on compliance. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's, this is a nascent industry still. It's 20 years old, but it's really, it's only in recent years coming out of the, the, the woods, the hedge fund woods, where, which is a highly secretive industry into the more, right. um, I guess, more open uh, SMB corporate industries. We act very much in the vein of, uh, well, we, we how, how do you say this in English? We drink our own Kool-Aid. Expert networks are about <laughs> sharing knowledge and Inix One shares knowledge about the expert network industry. So on our blog, we explain how it works. We demystify it. And we also standardize compliance across these 25 expert networks. It is good. It's absolutely the right thing to be concerned about what you say and, and what you can and cannot say in these consultations. But every, uh, every legitimate expert network will have uh, a stringent compliance process that they run internally before they even decide to contact you. Uh, and also a compliance training that they onboard you onto uh, discussing what you can and cannot say. And here I want to make an analogy. In, in Sweden, we have something, we ha have a government monopoly on alcohol. So you can only buy uh, strong liquor in government controlled stores. Mm -hmm. it, that makes it very clean in a way. You know, there, there are pros and cons you can be, be for against this and, and there, there are I'm sure there are great arguments for both, but it makes it controlled. Um, it demystifies alcohol in a way, for better or for worse. Same thing with expert networks. It's when you transact and share knowledge over a structured process uh, where there are paper trails as an expert network with legitimate companies, it's very unlikely that anyone involved would want to solicit uh, confidential information. Now, you know, that might be something that might be solicited in a bar, right? Or a back street, but um, <laughs> expert networks as such compared to a bar or back street bar, are, it's a highly controlled and structured process. Have you had um, found any problems with, <clears throat> excuse me, expert networks in other countries just because of different cultures of compliance? Um, I use a framework, um, <clears throat> somebody in my family works in internet security, and even though they uh, work with people in certain countries, I don't have to name them, um, they have problems because they just don't understand the security, they don't understand um, intellectual property laws, things like that. Uh, is that something you've run into as you've, as you've become global? Absolutely, different interpretations, uh, and ultimately there are also different laws uh, in different right. countries which is one of the values that I think we've, we've been adding. We didn't realize that Sweden is very much, you know, very incredibly Anglo-Saxon <laughs> being such a small country. So um, now one of, one of the things we, we did was working with 
heads of research from some of the largest uh, US-based investment firms to standardize what we think is the best practice set of the golden rule, golden standard of compliance and implemented that across all the partners that we work with. Is there a, um, is that being picked up? Is that being seen by other people in the, in the um, industry and saying, oh, this is a great idea. We should standardize along the same lines. Yeah, I would hope so. Um, I, I don't know yet, uh, but it's interesting. Uh, I, I, I would expect it to be because this is the typical evolution that you see in any nascent industry going from small and unorganized into more organized and standardized. And it's in everybody's interest that it's, um, that there are standards and procedures and protocols. In one of your articles I was reading yesterday, you referenced, this is, um, GLG, it's, it's, that's one of the biggest, if not the biggest um, expert network in the world. Their S, uh, S1 filing with the SEC here in the US has just like any SEC filing uh, risks to our business section. And you, you pointed out, cause you said it was pretty enlightening. It actually was, they, they discussed all the, the, the risk factors of their business model. Um, one is what we were just discussing, all the, the myriad of different laws like labor laws across the world where these people could be reclassified as employees, not independent contractors. And you'd be responsible for taking taxes and all of the other things that you have to do with an employee. That's a risk. Um, other ones include um, companies themselves not wanting their employees to be a part of expert networks and prohibiting them from discussing anything. And that's, that's, a, that's a huge threat. And it goes on and on, and, and uh, even to the point where they use third-party software like, like LinkedIn to do their own work. And if LinkedIn wanted to get into this business or may already be starting that, they could just cut them off. <laughs> so I, I, it's very clear to me the value you're bringing because especially companies, I mean, in my, my line of work, I'm in the medical device industry. I can understand the partner companies I distribute for would not want me talking about their business to anyone. In fact, I have to sign agreements testing to the fact that I won't do that. But uh, I, I don't know of any prohibitions against being on an expert network yet. Have you seen more of that? At, at more companies saying, no, you can't do this? More um, even partners. I mean, if you were a contractor of the defense contractor for the US government. You know, they may tell you, you can't talk to anybody, especially other certain countries around the world, like Russia, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, tell us about that. Cause that seems like a huge, huge potential problem. Yes. So as, as, uh, since many years, actually government officials are, um, no, no go cannot be contacted by expert networks or, or uh, now, um, we are also seeing uh, an increase in, in companies uh, limiting uh, employees specifically also from consulting with expert networks. Um, and there are ways for companies to register with expert networks and say, please don't contact anyone from our, any of our current employees or until 12 months after uh, they leave this company. Um, now, that typically also uh, it fits with the client's demands. So uh, most clients, uh, especially those that have been using expert networks for a longer time, investment companies have very strict policies on uh, not speaking with people who are currently employed in the industry that they're researching or people that must be at least six, 12, 18 months out of employment. Uh, for the sole purpose of not they themselves, as much as they want to understand this industry well, they don't want to inadvertently come into possession of material non-public information. That's a big risk and would be a big right. cost to them to manage. The limitations of some companies on what their employees can speak about the expert networks compliance procedures to protect themselves and the client seeking information, they all uh, overlap and coincide. They, they, have, they align basically the interests. Does that uh, compliance include sometimes recording the calls 
to, for auditing by legal teams later on, um, transcripts of the calls? Yes. Um, some, some firms request to always record calls for compliance reasons or for reuse. And some say we absolutely don't want any recordings on any calls. Um, it's hmm. the people treat this differently. Interesting. So I was going through the list uh, online on NX1, and I found, I think it was, it, it was maybe um, non-specific, non-specific category list of, of consulting networks. And one I found, it's based in Canada, and it is called uh, expertisefinder.com. And they just focus on universities, which I thought was interesting. So they, from what I could gather, a university like Duke, for example, here in town, would hire them to go through their faculty staff and build a directory uh, based on expertise in different areas. So the faculty within the university can find, you know, if you're a historian and you're writing about, um, you know, the, the bond crisis of tulips, you know, back in Europe, and you don't know anything about the bond market. So you want to talk to somebody in, in you know, the economics department, and they've actually written a paper about this and you collaborate with whatever it is. To me, what I, I thought, well, gosh, most university professors, at least within you know, university, they would probably know each other. They would, they're probably a system for doing this. But the, when I looked on their website, many of their clients on the university said our, our faculty engagement jumped by 50% after this, which blew my mind. I mean, you'd think that that was already happening. So it shows the real value is that what you're seeing in other areas when when companies start using expert networks for the first time that just the communication even within their own company could increase because people are looking now for expertise even even close to home i uh, that would be a positive effect i i don't i don't know i don't have the data on on this how, how it was before and after um but, but absolutely, it, it, as a general concept, um, expert networks reduce the, the cost to transact. So the cost for someone who needs something to find that something, they make it more efficient and, and, and that's yeah. a net benefit. Yeah. Also, <clears throat> excuse me, faculties are so big. How would you even find somebody in your own faculty? Uh, Duke has how many professors? It's so true. Nice yeah. to go through a network to find that. Um, you made an interesting point when you were first introducing yourself. You said you were the only business person in your family, a family of doctors. And as a former doctor, at first I said, hey, wait a minute. <clears throat> but then I said, yeah, no, you're right. We don't have those skills as physicians. Um, how do you, how does your company make sure that if somebody wants to meet with an expert, they get the most out of their hour? How, you know, because it would be really easy for me to, to get an expert and then not know how to ask the proper questions and not get the most information. How much do you guide that? How much can, how much can you help in making sure that the right questions are asked and that hour of time is used effectively? Mm -hmm. That's a very good question, especially for as part of our user base are new to the industry. So we have what we call a best practice guide. Uh, back to you know, drinking our own Kool Aid. We we this is knowledge. This is there's there's a protocol for this. Doing a good expert interview. So we share this with users. What we think is how how you do a good expert interview. Um, then of course there are innumerable ways that this ideal interview might be different. But there there are tools. Uh, it's been done. There's more than a million expert interviews done every single year over expert networks. Um, so, so absolutely, and and I've done hundreds myself. So, we, we we've figured out uh, there's a process. Um, there are some things you should do first. You should absolutely spend time uh, on getting to know the person before you jump into facts and mm -hmm. and. Uh, there's an, a nice process, basically, that, that you may or may not want to follow. One of the things we've found is an hour is a long time. You can cover a lot of ground with it. Um, we do uh, get a chance to get to know you, get to know our, our guests quite well. We get to know each other well because we're spending an hour in the same 
room talking. Um, so yeah, I think that that does make the questions more effective, but I don't know if people are, are trained in the interview um, session. Yeah, I'm interested about that guy. We're gonna actually post that online if we can, we can find it. I might uh, send you an email on that. Absolutely. As far as, you know, I'm sure there's better experts than others, right? Some are, you know, you just have a better experience. Do some of these platforms allow you to rate the people, you know, give feedback? How does that work? Um, yes and no. Um, we, so we help clients that we, who use our platform, they get to store uh, call notes and, and, and transcriptions of the calls that they do for later reuse so they can go back and see what did we learn on this project. And, and there, there they can also rate the quality of that. How good was this expert interaction? Um, it, it's not done globally, and I don't think it will. It ever will be. Like, experts will not be Uber drivers with the global rating, because uh, you might be incredibly uh, knowledgeable and useful for a certain uh, angle of a topic, and 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 less knowledgeable or less useful for another um, indication or, or angle of that same theme. Uh, so, uh, which we highlight also in, in the platform that it's, uh, yeah, uh, you should be careful with ratings, basically. They, they might, they're, they're highly specific. Um, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, in the time we're in right now, we're over a month into the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Not that I was, you know, I was talking about that for 10 minutes, but I imagine a lot of companies are trying to scramble to figure out, you know, the, the, the you know, US and European, you know, led sanctions, you know, and, and, and figure out that how not to be in violation of that, which two months ago, they wouldn't have thought about that at all. So yes, they're, these experts are needed right now and, and later, you know, they won't. So I see exactly what you're saying. Back to how you ask these questions. So there are times that you have to ask questions, but you there's some you don't want to reveal exactly sometimes who your client is or what it is they actually are working on. You know, it could be a new proprietary system or product, um, could be a commercial launch in a different area of the world, whatever it may be. I, I imagine that you have to be very careful about this because you know some some things, but you don't want to reveal those, but you need answers that are very specific. Mm-hmm. How do you go about doing that? What what you mean now from the interviewer standpoint? Yes, exactly. Um, so, so and, and let me take a step back here before you answer. So the reason I'm asking, I'm imagining, for example, a doctor right now who has some sort of business idea. Could be something in healthcare software. I mean, doctors come up with business ideas all the time. Yeah. And just like most of us, we come up with them and not all of them are very good, right? But sometimes you need to talk to somebody just to figure that out. But when you're on the front lines, you see a lot of problems and you, you want solutions to them and you're confused why there isn't a solution. And that's sometimes where good ideas come from. And I can see some people like that, even people in my industry wanting to talk to an expert. Maybe I just don't know anything about um, material designs of medical devices. And I just want to, you know, I have some concept in my mind, but I don't know if that's actually, you know, physically possible. Mm-hmm. So I'd want to it would be worth it to me to, to find a biomechanical expert engineer to talk about this, but I don't want them to really know about my idea. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't, you know, and I, and I don't want to go through the whole process of having them sign an NBA or do it. I don't even know how to do all that. It's, you know, that's not my area. So I'm curious how you would go about having that conversation, but being very careful about it. So, so to begin with uh, expert experts engaged uh, in expert networks are, are, uh, to my knowledge, always re- required to sign an NDA as part of this um, to not discuss the content of the consultation. And typically also, they're, they're not allowed to discuss that, the fact that the consultation even took place. Mm. Uh, other than at the most high level, I had this broad consultation, I guess you, you might say. Um, so that's already baked into the service. Because uh, I guess this comes with the legacy of the industry. If the initial users have always been people with sensitive topics that they were researching. Um, now, um, 
my, I was in a similar position myself as a strategy consultant doing research on behalf of, a, of clients who typically did something secretive, as in assessing a business opportunity, considering acquiring a company or so. Um, still, my bias was to share as much as possible because it's, it's a person on the other side, right? They, they, and, and they're busy with a million thoughts on their side. Um, you want to guide them. They want to help you, but you need to guide them uh, to help you. Um, I realize this is fairly vague, um, but so to sum up, my bias is to share as much as you can to, in order to get value out of the other person's time. Um, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I've started a couple companies before. It's this typical beginner, beginner entrepreneur thing to be highly secretive about your idea. Uh, but what the professionals, the experienced ones say, and I guess I'm semi-experienced by now having been having started this my fourth company. Um, the, what they tell you is share as much as you can. Go out, bang the drum. You know, I've, I've, I wrote my strategy on our blog, on our website. It's there for anyone to see. And, and that, you know, that has opened a number of incredible opportunities. I mean, including you gentlemen finding, finding me and, and inviting me to a podcast. So, um, yeah, my bias is towards being open and, and having an interesting conversation. Very interesting, Max, because I, I just had a conversation with someone recently who's in the medical device innovation area. And, and this is going to be part of a series that we're working on, you know, looking at innovation and, 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 and healthcare. Um, he, he said the same thing. Like, one, don't even assume someone hasn't thought of your idea before that you were so special. <laughs> but two, it, it, you know, the world moves very fast, especially in software. So it's speed and delivery more than anything, not, not just protecting your idea. but um, that's very, very good advice. I, I it, it, it's very counterintuitive for how many of us think. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it, it does make sense. You said you said it better. He, he said it better than I did in fewer words. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I don't know, but we're getting close on the time. I, I did want to explore this too, since you brought up. You did try to, uh, you know, you did start up uh, your own expert network at one point. Um, these kinds of things they're almost similar to social media platforms in a way where you have to kind of get to a critical mass, even Uber, you'd have to, you know, get to a certain point where you have enough drivers on the road that people download the app and someone will pick them up. Otherwise they'll probably delete it and say, Oh, this doesn't work. Um, you'd have to get enough as a starting up an expert network. If you were to do a boutique one, how, how do you get to that critical mass, you know, of inviting and recruiting experts, getting them in, so there's something valuable there for a client to find so they don't just pass you up and go to the next one. And how do you keep those people engaged? I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, oh, um, no, I, I'm, hmm. there, yes, that you, you should reach a critical mass, but even more so as an expert network, the key success factor is having talented people employed who are good at connecting with and speaking with uh, knowledgeable experts. Typically, those employees at the expert network should have uh, some expertise themselves in the sector that they work in. Um, my, my frustration when I was a 25-year-old generalist in consulting was that my expert network person was also a 25-year-old generalist who had absolutely no clue about you know, <laughs> the vaccine logistics uh, across Europe. Um, so one of the benefits of Index One is that the expert network partners that we have uh, are very focused. They don't need a critical mass of every expert in every industry and geography, but rather they need a, a, a depth, a specialization. Uh, whether it's in, a, I think of it as a matrix, it could be in any number of boxes on two axes of geography times industry segment. Interesting. So, so it's, it's less of building a database of people and keeping them engaged and more in building expertise on your own. 
Was it challenging raising funding initially? How did that process work? Um, oh yeah, I can. We can do an entire new hour about fundraising. Sorry, of course I asked that question at the end here. <laughs> Yeah, he, it was, he it was, <laughs> if, if I should sum up one learning from that was, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a cliche, but the people that I asked for money didn't uh, invest and the people that I asked for advice have been some of my abs, one of my best long-term investors. It's a great point. Interesting. Um, I have one last question, Max. Uh, when you were putting together your expert network and your expert network business, did you engage an ex expert network to do that? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. I, 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 had le I had learned enough at the time. But today I'm actually, these days I'm often engaged as an expert to comment on expert networks. Okay. So, uh, so it, it all goes uh, Case in point here. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> The, the network continues. Very cool. Oh, I got more questions. We're up at the hour here. So we got to let you get back, Max. I know it's a late Friday afternoon for you. Um, just to kind of close it off here, tell us, tell everybody listening where they can learn more about NX1, read more about the industry and just continue their, their thoughts after they, they're done with the podcast. Absolutely. Well, um, if you Google expert networks, you will find us. Uh, because we have very good uh, search engine presence. Uh, but even more so, you can go to INEX, which is short for Insights Exchange, INEX.one, INEX.one, uh, that's our website. And on there, you'll find our blog, you'll find, find my email address. And I'm happy to speak with uh, listeners uh, of your podcast um, to discuss this most incredible industries. Well, we will get links up to that and, and more on the, on the website as we always do. Um, Max, thanks for jumping on with us uh, today. This has been a lot of fun. I, I, I knew it was going to be, but uh, I'm really glad how the conversation went. Colin, Keith, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Peer Spectrum. Please support the show by writing a review on iTunes and join the conversation at peerspectrum.com. Keep up with the latest episodes and share your ideas with us on Twitter, Facebook, or email at peerspectrum.com.